Hey, everybody, and welcome to Big App Energy. We are a podcast dedicated to helping people who are new to app development and teaching anybody who wants to know where to get started when you have an idea. Um, This podcast is built off of real-world experience, building apps from start to finish. We've built quite a few over the last, goodness, I mean, at least seven years. Seven, seven plus. Um, Individually and teaching people how to code professionally. Um, That was both of our jobs for a while. And that even continues now as we continue to mentor people building one of our products that we have called Perfect Form. Um, So our CEO and main founder is Jacob Lutzo. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? All right, yeah, so I'm Jacob Lutzo. I spent 10 years of my life uh, in the manufacturing world doing automation and PLC programming, working with servos and all that fun stuff. And that's kind of how I got a taste for programming. And at one point, I think when I turned 30, I was sick of swinging a wrench and breaking my knuckles. So I taught myself how to program. Um, I well, I deep dove into learning actually how to like make apps and software <laughs> how to not suck at programming yeah how to not suck because manufacturing is an interesting interesting world it's more like ladder logic and like drag and drop stuff like switches open and close timers like yeah real basic um well i mean you're interacting with hardware a lot so right that, it makes sense that you're basically just at a machine level yeah So when I was 30, I left my home state of Wisconsin, went to California, Los Angeles with no experience, nothing. I got my (laughs) first contracting job. He was a kid with a backpack and a dream. (laughs) I got my first contracting job. Totally, totally messed it up. (laughs) It was probably one of the worst experiences I ever had and really made it apparent that I didn't know what I was doing yet and staying organized and not allowing feature creep is very important. (laughs) And I think contractors run into that a lot. So after that, I ended up working for DevSlopes, which is still around. It's a learn to code platform. Ended up becoming the VP of engineering there. And that's how Ben and I actually met. So we built a lot of platforms, a lot of streaming platforms together and a lot of like video game demos and things like that. Blockchain stuff. Yeah. So then throughout the years, we've moved on and we've done a lot of blockchain projects, video game projects. And now our little our little baby is Perfect Form, which is a a marketplace for personal trainers and nutritionists to publish and sell digital plans. And yeah, we're uh, concentrating on that. And then we started a dev shop because we want to kind of stay bootstrapped and not take outside money yet because we don't want to lose control of our project. Darn straight. And then we started this podcast because we realized a lot of people that have app ideas or software ideas don't know what to do and where to start. So that's where we are. Yeah. I mean, really... Even when you've got years and years of experience, you can look at a new project and go, okay, well, um, where the heck am I? What, how do I start this? Like, where do I go? So, yeah, um, I'll go ahead and introduce myself. I'm Ben. 
Kimball. And I grew up around computers. My dad was a network engineer for a pipeline up in Alaska. Um, and watching him work, I decided, hey, I really like computers. I really want to do this, but I don't want to be a slave to anyone. And I want to be in control of my own schedule and my own career. So I'm not going to do IT. I'm, I'm going to be a programmer. So here I am with a bachelor's in software engineering, um, being a slave to a lot of people and not working on my own schedule. <laughs> Worked out real hot. Um, but no, I... So I got a degree in software engineering. Um, my true love is video game development. And that's what I originally intended to do when I got out of college. Um, had a job I didn't necessarily love. And I started taking courses from DevSlopes because one of the big things that I will always preach is college teaches you a lot of theoretical stuff. And it's great if you plan on being a researcher. But I realized about halfway through my junior year that I knew absolutely nothing that was actually applicable. Like if somebody said, hey, Ben, you know, computer stuff, go write an app. I got nothing like you don't like learning Java. <laughs> <laughs> not particularly Java is not on my loved languages list. Um, and I caution everyone to stay as far away from it as possible. But anyways, um, that's just personal opinion. So I realized, you know, I don't know anything applicable. Where can I go to like actually learn how to make an app? And um, it started when one of my younger brothers was, was he an intern or had he started? I think he had started working for this company that he's now with. Um, he's a project manager for a construction company out of Arizona. And they needed a solution for um, clocking people in and out of secure work sites. And so I started to try and make an iOS app knowing absolutely nothing about iOS apps. And it really showed me my weaknesses and where I needed to improve. And so I got involved in DevSlopes learning how to do iOS stuff, um, a little bit of Android. And then when I decided I was done with that job that I had because you know didn't exactly love it um i followed the ceo's advice i burned the ship took out all of my options and said i'm gonna get a job um and i was lucky enough to go down to california for a week and hang out with the dev slopes team and that's where jacob and i like met met we had talked a couple of times um in the chat and i'm sure you just thought i was a freaking idiot but <laughs> I don't think anyone's an idiot. <laughs> but anyways, uh, we met there and I started doing projects with DevSlopes uh, for about a year before we went through some major organizational changes. Um, and then, yeah, since then, I, I mean, I was a contractor for DevSlopes, but I've been a freelancer contractor for five years now just making projects for different people, different entities. Um, and now, like Jacob mentioned, he and I are working on Perfect Form and this dev shop that we're opening up. Um, and really, I think both of us just like building stuff. Like it's, it's cool to see something go from idea 
like absolutely nothing to hear something you can interact with and it makes you feel like a god. There's something about starting new projects that's fun, right? Yeah. Because you can be, you can work for any tech company, right? And program for them. But like data architecture and like building from the bottom up, it's really exciting. Like I like it because it's makes you use your brain. Yeah. And I mean, there's also the, the fact that like after so long working on the same project kind of gets stale. Mm-hmm. Like unless you are part of a company where they are actively building tons and tons of features all the time, most programmers whole jobs are, hey, fix this bug and maybe make a feature once a year. Um, and hanging around on those projects forever just kind of gets old if you're not building new stuff. And so at least, at least in the circles of programmers I hang out with and the people that I talk to, um, it's pretty common for software engineers to just be like at a job for maybe two years max and then they get tired of it and move to something else. Yeah, I'd say there's two types of devs or software engineers, right? People that just want consistency mm-hmm. and steady work. Yeah, that's And fair. then the ones that get bored and always want to do new things. Yeah. I unfortunately get bored and always want to <laughs> do new things. I get bored a lot. So, <laughs> so really like a dev shop where we're making yeah, new no, projects dev, for people is like the perfect solution. Honestly, the dev shop's probably the best thing that I've ever decided to start because I know we're going to see a lot of amazing projects and always, you know, start them and see them through the, at least the MVP stage. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess like we should circle back and stay on topic for this episode because we, what we want to do in our first episode is like, where, where do you start after you have that app idea or like a software idea, right? Like you could be a business owner that just wants a, a custom ERP solution or you could have the ne- next Facebook idea, right? Yeah. Whatever it is, if you're not in the software circles or tech circles, where do you go? What do you do? Yeah. Um, so like really you've got two options when you're first trying to figure out like, how do I make this app? Um, You have the option to do it yourself, which is where a lot of people start. And I mean, especially over the last few years, there's been this major effort of, well, anyone can code, just learn to code, bro. Like, yeah. And I might fall, fall into the bro, bro grammar. Maybe. I don't know. know. (laughs) Do you hike on the weekends and stuff? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's over for you, buddy. Um, And I hit the gym and everything. (laughs) It's bad. (laughs) lifting these weights like I lift those bits. Um, But anyways, a lot of people start out with the DIY. And, you know, especially when you're starting out with beginner stuff of, hey, I'm going to write a little hello world something. You get that rush, that serotonin of, oh my gosh, this is amazing and this is so cool. Um, But there's, and I'm I'm sure we'll talk about this more in another episode, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But there's this thing called the Dunning-Kruger curve, which is an idea in psychology where it's a it's kind of a chart of competency. And so, like, at the very beginning, your confidence level is super high, like, because you're learning this new skill, you think you're amazing at it. And then after, like, the first year or so of actually using it, 
your confidence level just plummets. And that's where like imposter syndrome comes in and all that stuff because you realize just how much you don't know. And the problem with the DIY option is a lot of people get started, they get like halfway to three quarters of the way to their MVP, and then they run into a technical problem that they have just no idea how to solve. Yeah, because their stack and they just, wasn't the smartest yeah. decision or what. I mean, and that's like not there are bad. There hundreds of reasons for it. Yeah, when you first but... start programming, it's not going to be pretty. You're going to be embarrassed of your code, but it's kind of you do what you need to do, right, yeah. to make it work. Um, but, yes, if you actually want a scalable app... <laughs> There's a lot that goes into it, and I feel like and just following learning Stack Overflow or a YouTube <laughs> tutorial will only get you so far. Like, yeah, you learn how to do the front end very well, yeah, and then the back end stays magical and unknown, right? It's this big black box that you have no idea how it's actually working, um, and it can cause a lot of problems. And so, like what I've seen, I've I've had a few clients actually that start out with DIY they were pushing through it for like six months and then they reached out to me because they were following one of my tutorials online somewhere. And they were like, hey, I have no idea what I'm doing anymore and I've royally stuffed this up. Can you just like take over? <laughs> <laughs> Can you fix my code? And so I look at it and I'm like, uh, I mean, I could, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to have to like start over, buddy. That's... Yeah. Um, and so like DIY can work and you can come up with a really cool MVP and sometimes it works out, but the other option is to just go ahead and find somebody and hire out. What is an MVP? We should probably oh, yeah. talk yeah. about That's that. That's a very good point. Um, MVP is short for minimum viable product and it's basically just the core idea of your app. Like if you look at Uber, for example, um, Uber didn't start out as this big, hey, we've got taxis everywhere. We've got drivers everywhere. It was just a simple interface of, hey, I need a ride. You press a button and somebody shows up. Mm -hmm. Like it was very simple. It did not look pretty. If you go back and search for like images of version one of Uber, it looked horrendous, um, but it worked. And it's like a proof of concept kind of thing. Um this wasn't an app because they weren't really things yet. But like another example is with Netflix. Netflix's MVP, their first minimum viable product, was they mailed themselves a DVD. Yeah. And when it showed up at their door and it wasn't all scratched up and broken, they were like, hey, this works. Okay, we can push forward with this as a business now because we know if I send a DVD from L.A., it'll end up in Las Vegas without any damage. How exciting was the Netflix little packet? Right? <laughs> I kind of miss it. Honestly. I know, right? Like that I, well that like that has turned into a blockbuster used to be. Yeah. Because I remember going every Friday to blockbuster with my parents. It's probably you're right. probably too young. No, no, no. That was that existed. I, had, I mean, I grew up in Alaska. Like we were yeah, okay. a decade behind everything. I in high school I was going to Blockbuster and Okay, yeah. Like I think I think Fairbanks actually had the last Blockbuster, if I remember right, um, to actually still be open. And then Sorry. eventually it closed. Um, but <laughs> 
funny enough, just fun tidbit, and then we'll move on. Um, did you know that Netflix was actually started because the founder got PO'd at Blockbuster? No, I didn't know He that. had a late fee. It was like $40. Oh, that's hilarious. And so his level of petty... <laughs> revolutionize the world of you know renting what? videos you're gonna take 40 bucks from me for a late fee i'll i will shut down your business <laughs> like i mean really fantastic. the the, mo- the original model of netflix was genius mm-hmm. because you just didn't get a new video until yeah. you sent the one back that you have yep um but like that's kind of the driving idea behind an mvp is you want the minimum viable this is my base level product yep. with as few as few features as possible of just will this work before i go sink a whole bunch of time money yeah. effort into you know making something super pretty yeah so when you first have your app idea right you're going to write down pages and pages of features and needs that you have to have in your app right look at like what we've done with perfect form yeah like i think we have a decade of features Oh, yeah. Right? Like, we want to take that thing to the moon, and it's hard to strip it back and be like, okay, this is our MVP. This is what we're going to launch with. Because you want to get it all in, but you have to be realistic, especially if you start hiring developers. If you bring them on internally, or if you hire a dev shop, you don't want to hand them a decade of features and let them finger through them and decide (laughs) what your MVP should be, right? Yeah. Because you'll end up with a completely different product. Well, and I mean, even right now with Perfect Form, um, we haven't really made this public yet, but we started up, we got it into beta, and we've got a product out. And like, what was it, a month ago? We stepped back, started looking at it, and we were like, okay, we've got this thing, and it works, but we've got too many features in it. And we need to really focus on the user experience and it's the wrong thing. Yeah. And if we had spent time making a decade of features in it, then really we would have just wasted time going the wrong direction. Right. And that's like what the MVP is supposed to help you determine is what is the right direction for my product? Because what I think it is and what it'll actually be are often two very different things. Right. And like even with DMs, we got in the DM feature. We were like, this is dope. This works yeah. so well. And then we're having a conversation and we're like, like we don't need them. We don't need them. This is, <laughs> like, it's just overkill. It's like, like, what's the actual purpose of having DMs in the app? And we didn't have a good answer. So how many blades and tools do you actually use in a Swiss army knife? Mm-hmm. Right. Probably like two. Yeah. And so we decided, okay, well, we're rebooting this thing and we're building it out the way that it should be and changing this focus. So this feature that we thought was going to be this pivotal, important thing, we're just trashing. We're just going to rip it out and not even have it. Which is important having, you know, your MVP list of features because when you are building an app, especially like when it is like a startup app, right? Yeah. It's new. It's ours in the marketplace, so it's especially difficult to grow. You have to be prepared to pivot constantly, right? Because you have to find your product placement. And what we thought it was originally, I feel like it's shifted quite a bit. Oh, it it really has. You just always have to be ready to do that. And so the smaller features, the smallest amount of features that you tackle for your beta release or even like your main release 
it's important because if it doesn't end up catching like you thought it would, it hurts less. Yeah. <laughs> when you remake your app from the sure. ground up again. Yeah. And I mean, I often think about it like, you know, when you're going on a trip, if I get to the airport and I haven't decided like where I want to go yet and I hop on a flight to like Ireland or somewhere in Europe and then I decide, you know what? I just wanted to go to Disneyland. Like I've got to fly back and go the exact opposite way and I've just wasted all of this time and effort and it's the same with app development. Like you don't, it's better to pause and really pare things down to make sure that you're headed the right direction before you go running. And like one of the plaguing problems I see in startups and I mean, we've run into this with past employers because we've worked on a couple of jobs together. Um, is they are so focused on sprinting and they want to see progress. They want to make progress. They want to release all these big features as fast as possible. The feature creep and the the next big feature is saving this app. Yeah. That's the And that's kind of the mentality wanna, behind it. Yeah. And what ends up happening is you get these half-baked, half-baked features that don't really work all that well. And... Then you spend, you know, we got this feature out in a month. Cool. But then we spent six trying to fix all the bugs and make it work. And right. refactor code like, and clean up the mess because we sprinted so hard. <laughs> but nobody wants to talk about that part. Yeah. Um, but anyways, getting back onto track because um, we kind of went off the rails on the MVP thing. Really, your two options when you start out, DIY or a dev shop. Um, or a contractor finding somebody to do it for you. Or partner with a technical founder. That's true. Right? Yeah. Like, I didn't think about that one, but yes. So like between you and I, I guess we're both pretty much a technical founder, yeah. but we have our expertise in different areas. Mm -hmm. So like our partnership just always makes sense to me. Yeah. Because I'm backend, database, data architecture, you're better at front end, but you are capable of doing everything that I do, but we have our strengths, right? Yeah. Um, so I probably should have mentioned this when I was introducing myself, but I'm a full stack developer. And what that means is I can do front end and back end, and I'm fairly skilled in both. But the difference here is like you're focused on the back end and that's where you live. Mm -hmm. And so like it's the same way when you go to a doctor, you've got a generalist who can like kind of diagnose everything. But if there's something difficult going on, something that they can't figure out, they'll send you off to a specialist. Right. And you've you've specialized and gone down the back end path. And I'm just kind of hanging out in both because I like doing yeah. a mix of everything. So I've gotten my toes wet. <laughs> I live I belong in the back end. Um, <laughs> I just don't have the the patience. You tried front end once. <laughs> it's just not for me. It's not how my brain works and that that's okay. Like everyone wants to be the, the do it all. Like not everyone can be a full stack developer. Yeah. I, I could, but I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and that's, what's important is like, you're going to, you're going to excel at what you enjoy doing. Exactly. And like that full stack I'm good with because it's kind of the same as when I'm making video games, like, that's essentially what I'm doing is I have to architect all the data. I have to manage all of this programming side of things 
and I have to make it not look like crap and feel like crap when you're playing mm-hmm. it. Like, and so for me, it just makes sense. Um, but like to your point, not everybody is built for everything, and that's nope. the way that it should be. Like, I mean, goodness, you've done some, you've done some work moving into marketing and trying to figure that out for perfect form, and like you've come back. I've I've known marketing people who are like I could never be a programmer. Your job is so hard. Right. And then Jacob came back from investigating marketing and trying to figure out and he's like this is they they do the hard work. This is insane. Dude, like building the product is the easiest part <laughs> of app development. So, that's all I got to say there. Um with that being said though, if it's like a a simple concept, simple app, DIY is probably the way to go. Yeah. Learn on your project. You're going to love learning so much more because it's your little baby that you're building. Oh, for sure. And if it's out of your expertise and you know it's a difficult project, but you don't have money, you have to start networking. You have Mm -hmm. to meet people that you can get on board that have that see the same dream you see. Right. You have to build your little like company culture at yeah. that point and try to bring on a founder or a technical founder. Well, and I mean, it, it could even just be an advisor. Like that too. I know for me, um, if somebody reaches out and they're like, hey, I'm building this product and this is kind of the basic architecture I've got. Can you like take a look and give me some yeah. feedback? Sure. Right. Like I'm, I'm not even really worried about I want to be your technical co-founder or I want stake in this. Like I'll look at it and give you feedback. We avoid those conversations like the plague because you probably wouldn't be surprised, but so many people want you to partner with them on their million dollar idea. Yeah. And yes, it very well could be or is a million dollar idea, but you can only have so many companies going on in your well, life. Well, <laughs> yeah, and you've only got so much bandwidth. Yeah. And the question is not, is this a million-dollar idea? Because most ideas could be a million-dollar right. idea. I mean, everybody was laughing at Netflix when they first came out. Of, oh. Yeah, this is... You You can't scale this. Like, what the heck? And now look at them. It just comes down to, is it your million idea dollar idea is this a fit for you because like i could do a lot of things that doesn't mean that i'm the best choice for x y and z exactly especially if it's not in my wheelhouse yeah like like we're really good at building things yeah so that's why we started hga right so we can build things for people yep um yeah so it's either do it yourself get advisors or technical co-founders uh, or reach out and hire a dev shop yeah. or individual developers. You can find developers everywhere. Yeah. It's harder to know the quality work if you don't have a technical background. Like, honestly, you want an advisor in your pocket no matter what. Yeah, for so sure. So make a like- friend that knows software development. So you're not getting taken advantage of by a developer. Yeah. And that's a very good point. Like a lot of people will just run straight to Fiverr and Mm -hmm. they'll be like, Hey, or Upwork or, you know, insert platform here. Mm -hmm. And they'll just look for like the cheapest option of, Hey, I can get an Android developer. Oh, this guy looks good. I can get him for 20 bucks an hour. 
And there's often a reason for that. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll dive into this in a later episode, even more detailed, but like the average pricing for like software development. So you guys don't get blown away with sticker shock when you hear it, depending on how simple the app is, it's probably going to range from like $40,000 and up. Yeah. And then if you're talking like custom ERP solutions for your business, if you can buy a generic thing that you could morph your, 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 your daily tasks to and do it the way that software wants you to do it, it could be a $10,000 solution, right? Or a hundred thousand dollar solution, whatever it is. If you're building a custom version of that, it's going to be ten to twenty x oh, that yeah. amount. So it's not cheap, but it also can be a very beneficial and um, profitable business. Yeah, and I mean, it all comes down to priorities and what resources you have available. Yeah, like. I won't go into too much detail because we're already pushing time, but um, like I've known companies, there was a company here in Idaho Falls that um, they were number one in SEO. They were, you know, the big dogs for search engine optimization and they decided, hey, we're going to contract out instead of hiring in-house people and using who we've got here because it's cheaper and it's going to save us money. And they went with a company from another country, and, which I'm not going to get into. <laughs> but um, what ended up happening was a year later, like they had hired the cheapest solution they could find. They were not particularly skilled at what they were doing. And it ran their company into the ground. Like, yeah. It's you know? very easy to dump money into a bad solution. Yeah. And then once you've got that bad solution, like we've, we've had contract jobs before where we were approached and somebody said, Hey, I've spent like $30,000 pumping money into this solution and I've got nothing Mm -hmm. like, so we're going to have to start from scratch and you know, what can you guys do for me? Is there any way that you could like give me a low ball offer because because they already got screwed i've already gotten screwed and i'm thirty thousand dollars less funded than i was six months ago like and it sucks like i feel bad for people that take the wrong path um you want to be very well aware of the discount model when you're hiring software engineers yeah um and we'll talk about that in a later episode again um, but anyways, so moving on from like, how do you get start like those three options? Um, what's the first step? Like I've got an idea and I've decided, you know, I'm going to do it myself or whatever. Okay. What's the first thing that you should really be doing? And we kind of covered with the, this with the MVP. Yeah. I would say vomit all your features and ideas down into a giant list, right? Yeah. And then take that list and select the fewest things off that list that you could launch with, right? Yeah. And still have a viable product. Like the as fewest. Far as... <laughs> the fewest. If it if you have a list of a thousand things, but you have a viable product with four things off that list, those are the four things that go into your MVP. Yeah. I was gonna say, like if you get if you have that list and you've got more than five to ten items. Yeah. Like ten being the very top. 
then if you need more than that to have an MVP, you got to reconsider your MVP. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not an MVP anymore. And like, you don't want some super complicated beast of, you know, I've got this app idea for a video streaming service, but to have this video streaming service, I've got to have a couple of million dollar producers and I've got to have like this big thing. No, you want to test it out first. Yeah. And like when we say minimum, we mean minimum. Yeah. Just for your sanity, you want the minimum. Yeah. Because you want to at least get your product into testers, test the market. And like we were saying, you got to be ready to pivot. So once you have your, your MVP list of features, you're going to want to create a very rough wireframe. And what a rough wireframe would be like you just sketching the flow of how your app works. Yeah, you can you're like not a designer. Sketch it on a napkin. Yeah, so. you're not a designer, but you want to understand. You want when you approach like a dev shop or a developer or a designer, you want to give them a basic idea of how you you see your app functioning, right? Yeah. So you make a very rudimentary wireframe. Um. And then I guess from there, you're going to want to talk to probably multiple dev shops, multiple developers, and get a pretty accurate estimate for your project. So like if you went to hiredgunapps.com right now, Mm -hmm. we have a project estimator. You can go through all the features of what's in your app and it will spit out a rough cost for you. And honestly, like that's probably a great place to start. You can go to our website and... Not saying you even have to contact us, but it will get you on the path for knowing how much you're... Like kind of what to expect. Yeah, exactly. Because we, we've we gone through that calculator a couple of times, um, and it's we're not trying to shill our own stuff here, but we've gone through the calculator a couple of times just to make sure it's accurate, and everywhere that we can find, the numbers are matching up. Yeah, we so. try to make it as simple as possible, but also as accurate as possible. And I think we, we landed yeah, in a pretty good spot. I think spot. we've done a good job with it. So if you want a good idea or a very rough estimate of what a software development project costs, you can start there. It's a free tool. Uh, you don't even have to give us your email. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't, like I don't we, think we even need yeah, contact info. We don't there. need any contact info. So that's a good spot. And then from there, once you have that estimate, I would talk to developers, dev shops, figure out if it makes sense to bring internal software engineers on or hire a dev shop. Mm-hmm. And then you know what the rough cost is. So as you're talking to people, if it's within that estimate, I would say you're probably in a good spot. And then just make sure you have references or some sort of what resume so you can actually see their previous work. Yeah. Cause that's pretty important. Well, I mean, probably portfolios, yeah. a better term for it. That's yeah. Like that's one of the most important things when you're looking for somebody to do work for you is what kind of proof do you have that you're not full of crap? Right. Like, cause especially in software development world, like, I've noticed recently there have been a lot of people who just get on board and they start coding. They've been coding for like three to four months and they're like, I'm a guru and I'm amazing at this and I can do any project and it goes horribly. Mm -hmm. Like I have 
it makes me cringe. There, there seems to be an uptick in that skill level opening dev shops yeah. too. I've seen a and lot of that, and it's that's terrifying. kind of what. So Ben and I started talking, and we're like, hired gun apps. Like we need to start a dev shop to kind of offset the bad work out there. <laughs> right. And then, and then we're like, we also have to start a podcast, start educating people that don't understand how software development works. Yeah. So I think, I think we covered everything we wanted to cover and like, this is a good wrap up for our first show. And as we go on, we're going to just teach people what to be aware of, what to look for and just like educate from, we're on the dev side and 90% of the world's not. So yeah. our goal is just to hopefully make it so no one burns $40,000 hiring the wrong developers and then <laughs> not get in a product, right? Yeah. That, like that's the worst part. Like, I mean, if you want to burn $40,000, I need a sprinkler system. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's what big app energy is like we want you to build your dreams we want we want your amazing company your apps to succeed and so if we can help in the most minor way or the largest way uh i would I think say succeed yeah like, exactly 